Well, I'm really grateful that we've all been able to uh, worship through song together, and so now we're going to worship through the Word. So I hope that you'll pull your listening guide out of your uh, worship folder today and have your Bible open and ready to thumb through uh, just a number of verses that we're going to hit this morning. And I want to say to those who are uh, with us today online and watching us on TV, we're really glad that you've joined us today as well. You see that today's message is about uh, the body of Christ, and I'm so glad and encouraged and joy-filled to be with the body of Christ this morning. Um, And so we're going to talk about uh, how the body of Christ and some of the ways that the body of Christ ought to interact with one another. But I think it's important as you think about who we are and how we interact with one another that we maybe step back a little bit and see what some of the foundations are. Uh, to that are. And I want to step back beyond even things that are on your, your listening outline today. And I want to say that uh, relationship really exists in the character of God. Because God exists um, in relationship with himself, does he not? Because God is Father, Son, and Holy uh, Spirit. And so the very existence and character of God relates to us that relationship and relating well and unity are very, very important to him. Also, when you look at the first pages of Scripture and you go to Genesis chapter 2 where God is creating everything and he created Adam and what did God do when he looked at Adam and he said to to himself, it is not good that man should be, what? Alone. And so God made a helper suitable for Adam and so God saw that even though Adam had perfect relationship with God himself, God wanted Adam to have harmony and love and joy in relationship with another human being. And so let's jump from creation and from God's existence, let's just jump all across the timeline now to the church and what God has created the church to be. And so you'll see on your listening outline a few things related to what the church is. And so let's take a look at those. Number one, fill it in, the church is the redeemed people of God throughout all time. The church is the redeemed people of God throughout all time. Look at Ephesians chapter five, and though this is related uh, to the marriage relationship, it gives us some great truths about the church. It says, as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Jesus Christ on the cross paid the price. He redeemed us from our sin and our lawlessness and an eternity of separation from God. So he gave himself up. Why? So that he would sanctify his church. He would set his church apart, cleansing his church by the washing of the water and the word, and then to present himself, uh, present the church to himself in splendor, holy, without spot, without wrinkle, uh, and with no blemish. And so God has redeemed his church. We are redeemed people throughout all time. The church is also a group called out for a unique purpose. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. To the church of God that is in Corinth. So we go from the church universal, these redeemed people that that Jesus has redeemed uh, for himself to the local church, the church at Corinth. And it says, to you who are sanctified in Christ, you are called 
God has called out the local church to do what? To be saints together, to be saints together. God has called out local churches for the bigger picture though with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. The ecclesia, the church, the group of called out ones is both a universal church and a local church. Thirdly, the church is comprised of many members. Fill that in on your outline. Romans chapter 12 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So do you see some transition from global body that Jesus has redeemed to local body called out for a special purpose to many members that fulfill those purposes with the use of the gifts that God has given us? So if this is the church, then we will fulfill our redemptive purposes when we relate in positive ways to the brothers and sisters in Christ that God has put in our lives. So one of the ways the scripture helps us to understand these principles of relating to one another, there's, there's all sorts of principles throughout scripture about how we ought to relate to one another, but it's using this phrase, one another. There are some one another's in scripture. The Greek word is alelon. Somebody say alelon. Okay, that's good. You're Greek scholars. I'm proud of you. It is a really common word. There's really no need for you to learn uh, that word specifically because it's just a Greek word that's just thrown about a hundred times throughout the New Testament. And it really does just mean one another, but reciprocally, or reciprocally, mutually, just together, just some one anotherness. And it's used in a lot of generic ways. You know, they were in a room with one another. They were walking down with one another. Just some very generic ways. But when it's applied to the church, it takes on very significant meaning. So about 45 times it's used in the New Testament of these specific one another ways. And there's probably 12 or 15 different types of one another's in the New Testament. I've tried to condense them to about six, and so that's what we'll be encouraged by today. The first one, write it in, is love one another. Love one another. Love is the foundation of our relationship, brothers and sisters in Christ, because if Jesus could lay down his life out of his great love for you and me, dirty, sinful, unholy, imperfect, blemished sinners that go against everything that he is. If Jesus can love you, then you can love one another. It is the foundation for how we relate because it's the foundation of how Jesus relates to us. Look at these two things about loving one another. Fill it in. It's commanded by Jesus. It's commanded by Jesus. And our love for one another gives credit to our witness. It's commanded by Jesus. Look at this in verse 34 of John 13. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. So how are you supposed to love that brother and sister that you're sitting in this room with? 
Well, you look at the pages of scripture and you say, how did Jesus love his disciples? How does Jesus love his church? And how does Jesus love me? There's your model. That's how you ought to love those around you. Jesus says, by this, if you love this way, what will happen? All people will know that you are my disciples. Not just the people in church. All people will know. Those people in your neighborhood and your workplace that you're trying to share the gospel with, when they see the love that you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ, it gives credibility to the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So Jesus tells us to do it, we ought to do it, and it helps our witness. A couple of ways we should do it. We should love earnestly. See 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That means intentionally, purposefully, wholeheartedly, diligently. And then our love should lead to generous forgiveness. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. Now, the kind of love that we see, there's about 12 or 13 places in, New, in the New Testament where it says love one another of some sort. We didn't obviously cover them all. When it uses the word love, it's using agape love in all but one place. In Romans 12, 13, it uses phileo. And the context there is the context of brotherly love. And so it's very fitting. But in all the other ways, it's saying brothers and sisters in Christ agape one another. Unconditional love toward one another. Unconditional forgiveness toward one another. Serve one another out of love. Lay down your life for your brother or sister. Give that kind of agape love to one another that Jesus gave to us. Let's keep moving. The second one another that we have is to live in harmony with one another. So unity or harmony, this is something we say around Ingleside, that unity is both a gift and a goal. Unity is both a gift and a goal. So here's what I would love for us to do. You see that passage in your listening outline and it's underlined from Romans chapter 15. I want us to all read that together. I want us to display some unity and harmony as we read this passage. And as you read it, I wonder if you would be thinking, I'm speaking these truths out to my brothers and sisters in this room and I'm speaking these truths to myself to encourage my own heart. Are you ready? Let's read Romans 15 together. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Anybody want to say amen to those words? Amen. Those are great words to encourage one another with today. You see, unity is a gift. In verse 5, it says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. He is the giver of the gift of unity and harmony. We are the receivers, but we are also participants of it. Because look at the next verse in 1 Peter. How do we participate in unity in the church? Well, we clothe ourselves, all of you, 
with humility toward one another. We take a humble posture, not a selfless or an I'm better with you type of temperament toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because why? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, I want to take a little poll. Would you rather have God's opposition? Raise your hand. I don't see any hands. Or would you rather have God's grace? Raise your hand. All right. Then every one of you all ought to walk out of here with the humblest hearts today. And with a humble heart, you'll receive God's grace. And then the second thing we see about uh, humility, or excuse me, by living in harmony and unity, is that we ought to pursue peace. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. I don't know if there's anybody that you've got to rub with right now. I don't know if there's anybody that your relationship is out of step right now. I don't know if there's anybody that you've dinged or hurt recently and that has tarnished your relationship with each other. I want to encourage you as quickly as you can today or this week to do what this scripture says to aim for restoration, to comfort and agree and to live in peace. Because y'all, when you are at odds with another brother and sister in Christ, it is hard to have peace. Your gut wrenches, sometimes your heart beats too fast, you can't sleep, but God, the God of love and peace, can give you that when restoration comes. Now, in about 20 years of ministry, I've seen apologies and forgiveness go wrong way too many times. So let me give this group just some, some pastorly advice about how to go about that. If you've been hurt and that person doesn't seem to know it or they're not responding, you go to them, try to get them face to face and say, I'm hurt because of X and see where the Lord takes it. And be humble enough to admit if you've done something wrong too. But now if you're the one who has been the offender, if you're the one who's done the ding or you've hurt the feeling or you left the person out or whatever it may be, let me encourage you, if you can, don't do it by text. If you can, don't do it by email. Sometimes those are the ways we have to do it. But get face to face, eyeball to eyeball with the person and say, I am sorry that I blank. Now, sometimes we put qualifiers. I'm sorry that I blank, but you were just so, so blah, 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 blah. That's not an apology. That's an excuse. I'm sorry that I blank, or I'm sorry, 
Let me go back. Sometimes we say this. I'm sorry if I blank. You ever done that one? That's not an apology either. You're not owning up to anything. At best, you're giving it a 50-50 that you might have messed up. I'm sorry that I blank. Then four more words. Will you forgive me? Because forgiveness is part of the equation. And if you've been hurt or dinged, you look at the person in the eyes and you say, I forgive you. Water under the bridge. Your offense is down at the bottom of the ocean floor, the same place Jesus put my sins when he died on the cross for them. That's how we pursue peace when we're at odds with one another. I want to invite my friend Jonathan up here if I could. Y'all know Pastor Jonathan? Anybody know this guy? Come on up, Jonathan. <clears throat> they like you. Now, <clears throat> Jonathan, how long have you been playing piano? As long as he can remember, he says. Okay, Jonathan is a great piano player, beautiful piano player. I love listening to Jonathan play. Uh, I've asked Jonathan to play just a few measures of a, of a song for us that, that will just help you hear a beautiful piece of music to illustrate unity. Jonathan, let's hear it. church is unified <clears throat> and in harmony with one another that's the sound the Lord hears and that's the sound the world hears it's beautiful music y'all but I asked Jonathan to prepare to play it a different way too I think it's important we see the opposite of beautiful music Sometimes Jonathan can play not so beautiful music. So Jonathan, let's hear it a different way. <laughs> oh, don't clap for that. That is cringeworthy. That is cringeworthy. Y'all, that's what the body of Christ sounds like when we're bickering and fighting and arguing and holding grudges. It's discordant. It's not what God desires for you and I. It's not what God desires for Ingleside Baptist Church. And it's not what God desires for his church overall. We can't end that way. We gotta end with some harmony. So take us out, play it right again. Give it up for Jonathan Green, everybody. Thank you, Jonathan. I hope that we'll be a church that sings beautiful music like that. Thirdly, we want to serve one another. The scriptures say to serve one another. 
It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't mutter under your breath when you have to serve somebody or be hospitable to them. Do it with joy. It says, as each has received a gift, we all have a spiritual gift if we are in Christ. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. Let's keep moving. We're to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, <clears throat> this notion of the law of Christ is used only twice in the New Testament. It just means uh, the law that when you can't do something on your own, Jesus stepped in to do it for you. So I want to illustrate it uh, with this couch here. So the worship arts guys came and brought this couch out. I don't like it there. It's, uh, it's sort of an eyesore. I don't want to like go back there and trip over it. Maybe they thought I was going to pass out. I'm not really sure. But anyway, there's a couch behind me. Now, I could try to move this couch if I wanted to. I could maybe try to push it back where it was, but I might break a leg or scrape up the carpet. I thought of a really fun way is I could just tip it in over end and try to get it over there. And y'all might enjoy seeing that. But I'm not sure, I just don't think that I could get this couch back over to the corridor by myself. And so I've got a burden that I can't handle on my own. I need a couple of guys to help me with this. Are there any guys up front that uh, maybe your kids might want to point you out and say, yeah, my dad can help you with this. He's big and strong. I'm seeing Philip. Okay, you're going to be one of them. I just got to pick some quick guys. I'm seeing a strengths and conditioning coach, Mr. Collier. And I'm seeing a, a, any back problems. Okay, Brian, come on up. Come on up, you three guys. Yeah, you can't have any back problems here, but um, I, I need y'all to help me get this couch moved. So let's just come on up here. We've got a guy who likes to climb trees. Philip loves climbing trees and cutting tree limbs off. We've got a strength and conditioning coach, and we've got a fitness trainer. Brian, so y'all, let's just grab a corner. Would you help me? Because I don't think I can do this on my own, but I bet if we all grab, let's lift it up. Oh, man, all right, let's take it right over to that corridor over there. Y'all give these guys a hand. Man, they are helping me bear my burden. And let's just get it sort of off to the side. Let's just kind of set it down. Yeah, just right there off to the side. And then, man, you guys can go back to your families. Thank you very much. I appreciate you helping me with that. That just seemed a lot easier. I mean, I, I, was, I, I was using a little strength. And you notice I didn't like cast my burden onto them. I didn't get four guys, right? I still had to bear a little bit of the load. But I had these guys helping me. And it made it so much easier than trying to do it myself. That's a picture of what bearing the burdens of a brother and sister in Christ look like. Helping them do something they couldn't do on their own. Now, are there some times where you might really have to just fully take a burden off of somebody to show love to them? Well, sure. There might be times where I would have needed to just get four guys and I just stand back and watch. So say the single mom has to go out of town on a work trip and she's struggling to figure out what to do with her kids. You know about it. You say, you know what? Don't worry about your kids. I got them all week long. I'm taking them. You just took that burden completely off of that single mom. But sometimes when you're ill or you've lost a family member, or you've got some other struggle in your life. You just need people to come alongside you 
and do things to help you bear that burden. And y'all, this is one of the most Christ-like things that we as followers of Jesus can do is bear a burden, take in our hands the cares and concerns and worries of others because Jesus did that for us. He said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon me. And we model the gospel of Jesus Christ when we care for one another's burdens. Let's keep moving. Fifthly, encourage one another. There's a few pieces to this and a few scriptures that we can read. First Thessalonians tells us to encourage one another and build one another up. It says in Colossians that we ought to teach one another. Do you know that if you teach the Bible, you have an encouraging ministry? You have the ministry of encouragement to those whom you teach. Admonishing one another with wisdom. Admonishing sounds kind of like a hard word, doesn't it? But it really just means to put in mind, to put on somebody's mind. It's when you see somebody beginning to stray or take a path they ought not to or make a decision that might be unwise. Doesn't mean you grab them by the neck. Sometimes you might to admonish them, but usually it just means offering a word of encouragement or a word of wisdom or sharing a scripture with them or asking if you can pray for them over that particular issue or providing a, a loving and kind warning to them. But we ought to be admonishing if we're going to encourage one another. And then let us stir up, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You know, that stirring up words only used two times in the New Testament as well. You remember when Paul and Barnabas were at odds with one another over whether they should take uh, John Mark with them and they split up? It said they had a sharp disagreement. That sharp disagreement? Stir up. They stirred up one another. And so sometimes it's like pulling teeth to encourage a person. It can be hard work. It can take some elbow grease. It can take some real stirring to get a person to be encouraged in Christ. But we're called to do it. We're called to get people to meet together. You know, when you meet together, what happens? Go back to that Colossians passage. You hear good teaching and you bless one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And you get encouraged through singing. So I hope you'll encourage one another. And then finally... Confess sins to one another. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now this is not the kind of confession of sin where you've done a wrong to that person. We already talked about that. This is when you have some sin in your life that you are being convicted over, that you know is not right, that you know you need to shed, and you as a struggler of sin is going to a fellow struggler of sin and asking for their prayers of spiritual healing over you. We ought to have that practice with some close, close people in our lives. Now, don't go out here and walk through the gathering area and find a bunch of strangers and confess your sins to them. I would not consider that to be wise. Have some close, tight-knit, trustworthy believers who can walk you through those, who can pray for spiritual healing, who can follow up with scripture and encourage you as you move past that sin. Confess your sins to one another. 
I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about this. He said, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. Confess your sins one to another. You know, there's some corrective one another's and we're not gonna go through all those, but I did list them on your outline today. Do not pass judgment on one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not bite devour, consume, provoke, and envy one another. Do not grumble against one another. So some more on the corrective side. Today we focused on the more positive side of things. Uh, and then there's, uh, there's one more that you might be wondering about. And um, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm going to leave that one for Tim McCoy to preach on one day. But it's in there. It's in the scripture. Y'all, I'm so glad to be with the body today. And I'm so grateful for you. I have seen these principles work out in my own life um, in so many ways. With good godly friends, in small groups, in classes, on this church staff, with this church. And it's a blessing to be a part of the body of Christ. And if we will follow these principles, it'll show the people around us how much a blessing they'll receive when they repent and believe in Jesus too. Y'all, as we sing in just a moment, I want you to just sing as a response to what you've heard as a response to God's goodness and as a response of gratefulness to the body of Christ that he's put around you right here in this room and elsewhere. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are good and gracious to us. We thank you for your word that steers us in the direction that is right and holy and appropriate and pleasing to you. And so may the words that have been read from your scripture today be an encouragement to this body. Out of today, may you bring humble hearts. May you bring restoration and forgiveness. May you encourage people who need some stirring up. May you allow burdens to be borne. God, may we glorify you as your church, your body. In Jesus' name we pray.